What's going on guys? Welcome back to Consuming Crime with Jen and Jules. It is Jules here. Uh, what's up? I think this is going to be the first video that I put on YouTube. Actually, they're all on YouTube. They're just unlisted, so you need a link to watch them, and that link is accessible when you subscribe to the $12 Patreon. But I was actually thinking about changing the way that I do things. So instead of having a Patreon account, which there's still a couple bonus episodes on there if you do want to check it out at the $5 level, um, instead of doing that, I'll save that and do that later. Um, I'm just going to start putting my face regularly on YouTube as like a, I guess a YouTube channel. So this is going to be a podcast on all platforms on top of the fact that it's going to be on its own YouTube channel. So yeah, this might be most of your first time seeing a full story with my face if you're on YouTube, of course. Those blinds are going to be a problem if the cats jump up there, which they definitely will. So look forward to that if you're watching. But yeah, I guess that means I can skip the whole Patreon spiel. Oh, oh well. Okay, before we get started, make sure you give us a like, five-star review, wherever you're listening. If it's not five stars, let me know what I'm doing wrong, and I will uh, go ahead and try to fix that for you. So I'm going to read the preview before we jump into it in case you guys haven't read it already. On October 9th, 2004, in Miami, Florida, a resident from an apartment complex was walking to his car when he was stunned by a body falling straight into the concrete in front of his eyes. He calls police and they identify the victim as 23-year-old James Glass. Once detectives discover the source of where James had fallen, they are left with more questions than answers. Before we get into it, I do want to mention that the documentary sort of clarifies in the beginning that some names have been changed and some images are not the real images because of privacy reasons. So that's part of the reason why when I'm previewing it to you guys like on Facebook or on the website, I don't have a picture of the victim or the suspects or pretty much anything because I cannot find James Glass or the other victim in this at all. Like I said, this took place on October 9th, 2004 in Miami, Florida. It's 9 a.m. on a Saturday. Michael Pearson, who's the name of the resident that I mentioned, was walking out of his apartment complex, walking to his car on his way to work, the gym, we don't know. And he saw a person fall to their death. And the way that the documentary described it, it was right next to him. And the way that they dramatized it, so to speak, was right in front of him. I'm not sure that it was right in front of him, but I know that he saw it happen. So of course he calls police, he tells them what happened. The dispatcher asks him, okay, did this person already jump? He's like, they definitely already jumped and they are definitely not alive anymore. Being interviewed in the documentary now is a man named Joe Shalasi. I think it's Shalasi. He's a retired homicide detective and he was a detective from the year 2001 to 2005. He actually tells most of the story. He receives a call from Detective Rodriguez telling him that they've got a jumper. He tells Rodriguez that he's tired. He kind of just wants to go home. He's been working three days in a row. And Rodriguez is like, don't worry about it, I'll take it. And something in this detective, Detective Shalasi, I'm just going to call him Detective S. Um, and Detective S tells him to go. So he follows his gut and he goes to the complex. First thing he notices is that this is a very high-end complex. It's also very high. It's also a busy street. There's life all around. It's not necessarily like a secluded area. When looking at the body, he also noticed that the man looked very young. At first glance, you would assume that this is a suicide, but when he's looking further at the body, he's noticing that he has stab marks in the center of his chest, as well as cuts on his hands and arms. His fingernails were also chipped as if he had been fighting for his life, so this was maybe like a self-defense situation, and that's exactly what detectives assume, is this man was pushed, 
and he tried to defend himself. So we have to figure out where he came from, who he was with, and go from there. But one thing's for sure to them, this was not a suicide. They check surveillance tapes from the morning and last night. They see that his car, with him driving, goes in at 6.50 in the morning, and there's a woman sitting in the passenger seat, and she's wearing a red jacket. So the next step, obviously, is to go find this woman. They start questioning people in the complex, neighbors, upstairs, downstairs, and they're saying, we don't know nothing, we didn't see anything, and they get nothing from them. Detective Rodriguez is going around the building trying to figure out where maybe he sees like a window open and that's what he finds. He did find a window that was open. He noticed it was open because the curtains were like flailing outward and that was the only window that was open, at least how it looked in the dramatization. They found out that it was, this is actually kind of creepy guys, it was on the 14th floor in apartment unit 1414. So 14 is now, to me, an unlucky number. Because of exigent circumstances, they were able to go in without a warrant, so they called management, management got the key, let them in. After entering, Dr. S is like, this is where it happened. Something happened here because he just notices blood. There's blood on the floor, blood on the couches, on the blankets, and then he also finds a wallet with an identification card or a driver's license in it. The man that had fallen to his death was named James Glass, and he was 23 years old. So they're looking around the room and they're just Again, they're noticing a lot of blood, the window's still open. And then Dr. S sees drag marks, with bloody drag marks. So he's like, the hell? Like, if he jumped, how did that happen? So he follows the drag marks and it leads to a bathroom. Once he enters the bathroom, he sees what stuns him immediately. It was a woman in the bathtub and she was no longer living. When he went up to her, she was just in her underwear. I don't know if it was like brawn underwear or if it was just underwear, I'm not sure. But the documentary does not mention that there was any sort of sexual assault that happened. If it did, it wasn't mentioned. This woman was covered in blood. It was on her head, it was in her chest, it was just everywhere in the bathroom. She had suffered blunt force trauma to the head, stab wounds to the chest, and it looked like there were markings around here as if she was strangled. Around here being her neck, in case you're listening and not watching. Detective S sees a cord that had been ripped off of like an iron. So, I mean, if you kind of put it all together, it seems like maybe somebody used the cord to strangle her, used the iron to hit her, and um, he also sees a pair of scissors by the sink, which would have been used as the weapon to stab her in the chest. The weird part about the scissors is, in the dramatization, it was just the scissors covered in blood, but in the crime scene photos, it looked like somebody tried to rinse the blood off the scissors, which is... I thought that was like, that was odd to me because if you were trying to cover up the crime scene, first of all, you didn't do a very good job. Second of all, why just the scissors? Nothing else looks like it was tried, like, like they tried to clean it up. They find the woman's purse in the living room. Everything had been dumped out of it. So maybe this was like a robbery situation. And the second victim, the woman, was identified as Amy Hoyos. She was 26 years old. Again, if you look up her name, she does not pop up, so I do think this is one of those victims that they kept um, her name a secret, just for privacy reasons. They also found Amy's phone on the crime scene. For this, they did need a warrant to get by the passcode, so they just collected it into evidence. They also find a knife by the couch, covered in blood. Coda! Do you want to come up here with me? This is Coda, by the way. I don't know if you- if you guys have been listening for a while, you probably heard me yell at him sometimes because he tends to play only when I'm recording. Dr. S is now talking to the family. He talks to the father, Amy's father, and he said he could barely tell her that she was gone. He couldn't even say, your daughter's dead. Like, he could only say that she's gone. 
which he figured out what that meant. They find out that Amy was a receptionist and she really wanted to be a firefighter. Her sisters say that she was very caring, she was a very sweet girl, and um, she was just a strong woman overall. Amy's father did not really know James, but she did know his name. And the sisters did know a little bit more about James. And they said, yeah, no, they're friends, um, strictly platonic. They were not romantic, nothing like that. At least that's what Amy said. James was new to the area. He had just moved from Texas and she was just trying to be his friend. And as far as they know, like he was, Amy was all that he really kind of had as far as friendship goes. So she was like his buddy that just wanted to show him around town, I guess. Detective S calls James's family and he finds out that they owned a real estate business and James had moved out to start his own real estate business. James's family told detectives that James had a really big crush on Amy and he had brought photos of her to a wedding to show them pictures of her. So he was into her. I'm not sure if Amy was aware. I'm sure she was. Most women know when somebody's into them. But clearly it was not reciprocated or maybe she just kept it a secret. We don't know. So they get Amy's phone unlocked and they see that the last call was a local number and they decide to call it, obviously. And it is a man. Detective S asks if he's a friend of Amy and the man on the phone starts getting a little bit defensive, starting to say, who are you? What is this about? And then he just hangs up the phone. So the detective calls him back and says, hey dude, don't hang up on me. And the guy's like, well, give me your name, give me your badge number, who do you work for? So he's like, Miami Police Department. My name is Doc Detective S and here's my badge number. So he's like, okay, that's fine. This man is identified as Abe Metz and he is a limousine driver. He starts to open up and he seems to be pretty cooperative. He said he only hung up because he did not know if it was a legit phone call or if it was like a scam call or something. He tells him that he met Amy because she was a club promoter and at the time Abe worked for a lot of high profile celebrities. So he met her through hotel concierges. So they had a business relationship that later turned into a friendship. This call was from the night before. He tells the detective that they met up with James and this guy named Juan. Nothing seemed off about any of them. No one was upset, nobody argued, and it was just an overall good night. Abe leaves the three of them at around 1, 1.30 in the morning because he needed to be up the next morning to be at work. Abe also tells police that Juan lives in that same complex. Detectives go back to the apartment complex and they ask management, is there a man named Juan that lives here? Luckily for detectives, there was only one Juan, his last name was Diaz, and he lives on the 10th floor. So they call him, they bring him in. Juan was also very cooperative. He says that James met him at his place on the 10th floor. Says, he tells him, dude, let's go to Players. Players, I think, was like the club that they were at. And he says Amy's going to be there. So they decide to go to Players. They were at Players for a few minutes and Juan saw Amy talking to a guy. The guy was Abe, who we spoke about earlier. At 3 a.m., they decided to go home and party some more. Juan says they took the back entrance, which was a little bit suspicious to me. Like, why are you taking the back entrance if you live there, unless you're trying to hide something? I don't know. I'm suspicious of everybody at this point. Um, Amy was uncomfortable because she thought Juan was going to give James drugs and I guess James did have a drug problem in the past and so he kind of told, so she told Juan like, hey, I don't feel comfortable with you being here. I kind of feel like, kind of being like a bad influence on him. So Juan decided to leave and he does. That's around 3.45 in the morning. Detectives say, so you admit it, you were the last person to see James and Amy alive. And much to my surprise, detective surprise, uh, he says, no, I was definitely not the last person to see James and Amy alive. Ah, uh, what? He tells them the limo driver, Abe Metz, was still there when he left. So somebody 
One of these two fools is lying. Detectives check the footage and they confirm Juan's alibi. At around 3.40 in the morning, the elevator tape shows that he did indeed press the down button to go to the 10th floor and they do not see him go back up. To which my question is, couldn't he have taken the stairs back up if he knew he was going to do something malicious? Detectives call Abe back and Abe says he's busy, he's driving a client, he can't talk right now, but the detective is like, no, 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 we need to talk now. So he ends up tracking him down. I forgot where they tracked him down at, but they found him. So they have him in the car and they're talking to him. They're like, okay, what the hell happened seriously this time? Like, stop playing with us. By the way, I must mention at this point, he, Abe, is not aware that James and Amy are dead. I don't know how detectives didn't mention it, um, but they have not yet told him why they're questioning him. Abe ends up admitting that he was there with them that night and Juan did leave before him. And the reason he lied is because he's not supposed to be using the limo for anything personal. It's just business. So he felt like he was going to get in trouble with his job if they knew what he did, which makes sense to lie. It also makes sense that he killed both of them and lied, but we'll figure that out in a second. Abe actually left at around 6 in the morning, it seems like, because he had to be at work at 8 a.m. to drive a client around. Mind you, this murder slash suicide happened around 9 a.m. in the morning, and Abe goes to work at 8. The client does confirm that he was with him from 8 to the whole day, pretty much, even at 9 a.m., so this clears Abe. Now detectives tell him, okay, your alibi clears out. Um, you know, we've been questioning you because Amy and James have moved on. They've passed away. And detectives describe it as he did react as if somebody that that really did care about them. So this is the weird part. Abe's alibi checks out and Juan's alibi checks out. Juan, well, Juan's alibi checks out to detectives, not to me. I still think he could have taken the stairs. Abe could have also dropped his client off somewhere, went, did the deed, and come back. But that I just think that anybody could have done it. I'll tell you guys, what really happened stunned me and shocked me. Moving forward, I think you guys will be able to piece together what happened before I even say it. Detective goes back to talking to Amy's family, and Amy's mother did account saying that she was a little bit worried about James. She always thought he was a little bit off and he seemed to be a little bit obsessed with her daughter. With that in mind, the detective goes back to the apartment and instead of looking at the physical evidence, he now wants to look at James's lifestyle. What kind of guy was he? He goes in, he sees that there's obviously that the mess from the crime scene and he also sees that there's like a clothing mess in his room. Like clothing was just like thrown everywhere. I don't know when this happened, maybe he was going to try to move out of the country, no idea. And then he notices another room where everything was neat. Like everything was in plastic bags, they were all separated like two inches apart, the hangers. And I don't know why he mentions this. I He says it made him feel like he was living a double life, which again, I don't know why that would indicate such a thing. Maybe that makes sense to you guys. While he's looking around the apartment, Detective Rodriguez gives him a call and he says, hey, James's father just called me and he said that he did receive a voicemail from James the morning of the murders. You guys, this voicemail turns this case upside down. In the voicemail, it shows it in the documentary, but I'm not sure if it's the actual voicemail or dramatization. I'm going to assume it's a dramatization because I think it would have said actual audio footage if it was real. But in the message, they describe it as he sounded very depressed and he sounded defeated. He says, you always fix my messes, dad. 
but this is one mess that you cannot get me out of and you cannot fix. His father tells detectives that he also had a recent breakup in Texas, which is probably another reason why he moved to Miami, Florida. And he took that breakup very badly. He also had a history of having a really bad temper. So, Detective S is now thinking, all right, James killed Amy and then killed himself. What about the defensive wounds? So let's get into that. He goes to the autopsy, the, um, yeah, what is it called? The doctor that performs autopsies, I'm not sure what they're called. And they find that the cuts on his arms were not defensive. They were actually cuts from the palm trees when he had fallen down. And they know that because they found plant material in the cuts. The cuts on his wrists appeared to be self-inflicted. One of the most shocking things that I had heard was the stab wounds. I was like, what about the stab wounds in his chest? I know this dude did not stab himself. They were only about a half an inch deep, which means that he did in fact self-inflict those stab wounds on his chest. And his official cause of death was the blunt force trauma from the fall. They also assumed that he ran out of the window as opposed to just like going over and falling because there was two drops of blood on the balcony, which indicates that it must have been very quick. So this is what detectives think happened. They say that he probably made a move on her to which C was like, you know, it's not like that. I don't want to be with you like that. And he just snapped and he couldn't handle being rejected. So he took the scissors, this all happening in the living room couch, by the way, on the living room couch. He took the scissors, stabbed it into her chest two times. This was not enough to kill her. And he takes the cord from the iron, tries to strangle her with it. This either doesn't work or he gives up. So he just takes the iron and he hits her over the head with it. And that is what ends up killing her. At that point, he takes her into the bathtub, which maybe is when he tried to clean it up. Remember, like I said, the scissors looked like they had been rinsed off. And he just decides like, I can't clean this up. I can't do this anymore. I'm, life is not worth living. So he cuts his wrists, doesn't work. He's tried stabbing himself, it doesn't work. And then that's when he calls his dad was after he stabbed himself. I'm not sure how they figured out it was after he stabbed himself, but that's what they say they think happened and leaves that voicemail and then he just runs off of the balcony and you know i mean he did a terrible 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 thing i can't imagine what his father was thinking like what if i would have answered that phone call i am curious to know what would have happened if he did answer the phone call maybe it's better that he didn't because god forbid he did try to clean up the mess and then we wouldn't ever know what happened to amy Ugh, that's that's the story he I mean, I don't know if it was because he was rejected. Truly, there is no way of knowing what started that. But the craziest part is Abe was with them. Like, just, if he left at six, just a couple of, I mean, he left at six, which means that Amy and James must have left to go get food or something. Because remember, the video surveillance footage was from 6.50 in the morning. And they looked to be in a good mood. But again, I think the footage was a dramatization. I don't think it was real footage. They went back upstairs. And it, I don't know, it just, it makes me think like, well, what if like she would have just left earlier, left the night before? I mean, if this was like a rising, like if, if this was building up for a long time, it would have happened inevitably unless she decided to just leave him. Um, but I'm honestly very surprised that Abe and Juan do not, did not notice anything like creepy or obsessive or violent unless they just brushed it off. I mean, it sucks thinking like what could have happened how to avoid it, but the fact of the matter is this unfortunate event did happen. You know, rest in peace to 
Amy, and I don't know if I should say rest in peace to James because he's a cold-hearted murderer, but you know, that's not even their names. I don't know their names truly, so yeah. Um, also, I forgot to mention the source of today's episode was uh, the American detective with Lieutenant I don't know his name. I'll find it. Uh, it is on Discovery Plus, and I will be continuing to cover that series. But yeah, that that was the case. It's murder-suicide. I was surprised. Let me know if you guys were surprised. Let me know if you have um, any questions, and I will look into it and answer it in the next episode as far as the case goes. Also, let me know what you guys think. Why do you think he snapped? Do you think it was rejection? Do you think it was something entirely different? Other than that, thank you for consuming crime with me today. And uh, I will see you guys next week. Or you'll listen to me next week, depending on if you're on YouTube or not. Okay.